0: The Old Testament reading for this, the seventh Sunday after Pentecost, which serves as the text for a sermon this morning, comes from the prophet Amos, the seventh chapter. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, Behold. I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste, and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words." For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from his land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go, flee away to the land of Judah, and eat bread there, and prophesy there, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary, and it is a temple of the kingdom. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet nor a prophet's son but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs but the Lord took me from following the flock and the Lord said to me go prophesy to my people Israel this is the word of the Lord or the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God for from him and through him and to him are all things. Amen. The epistle reading comes from Paul's letter to the Church in Ephesus, the first chapter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel comes to us according to St. Mark, the sixth chapter. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. And this is the gospel of our Lord. To you, Lord Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, there is no getting around it. We are controversial. We here at Trinity Lutheran Church of Loudon, Iowa, as much as we would like to think that we are just a nice, rural, pleasant kind of church that's not making waves or causing any hard feelings, we are controversial. Not because of any sort of scandal that's about to rock the community, at least none that I'm aware of, but we are controversial because of what we teach and what we say. We teach that God's Word is powerful, that it is without error, that it will never lead us astray. We teach that his word is unchanging, that it tells us absolute truths, what is and will remain right and wrong, despite what culture or any vocal minority might say. We teach that the Bible is the full revealed word of God, and that it and it alone teaches us about salvation and all things eternal. And because we teach such things, we are controversial. And not just to those outside of our congregation. Certainly we are to them who don't agree with any of those statements at all. But we are controversial within these walls as well. We are controversial even to ourselves. Because let's be real here. None of us hears every word of God's word and says, Amen, Lord, let it be so unto me. I know I don't, and neither do any of you. You know how I know that? Because we're all sinners. And sinners don't like to hear the word of God. When we hear God's commandments, they don't make us feel good. And we like to feel good above anything else. God's Word makes us uncomfortable. It points out our shortcomings. It smashes our puffed-up egos to smithereens. God's Word just doesn't fill us with that warm, fuzzy feeling that we think it should, especially when it's God's law, holy, perfect, and righteous, showing us our filthy, sinful, rotten lives. So today... We're going to do something bold. Let's see what we can do about that word. Let's have a frank and honest look at how to deal with the controversy that God's word causes in this world and in our own lives. Let's put together a plan and answer that question that bugs every single person in the world, every single person throughout history, whether they recognize it or not. And that question... What can we do about God's Word? Well, the first option, the obvious one, is to ignore it. And that's a very popular option. Many people live their life pretending that God's Word just doesn't matter. It doesn't exist. It has no bearing on their life. Those who don't believe in God simply write off the Bible completely as, Fairy tales or old morality plays for a morality they don't buy into. Or a handbook of how to rule the masses and make them behave the way you want them to. Even Christians do this. Saying things like, well, I'm not that kind of a Christian. Living as if God had never laid down any boundaries at all. Pretending that God's word doesn't really convict them of their sin. Another way of ignoring the truth of God's Word is to change it so that it fits your wants, your chosen lifestyle. How many arguments have you heard where people prove the Bible says gay marriage or abortion or sex before marriage? Those things are all fine because here's a word here and a word there and here's a little bit and here's something we're ignoring. So obviously what I want to do is justified by the Bible. How many times have you confronted someone about sin and had them tell you that they're pretty sure the Bible doesn't actually say anything against them or that their particular situation is unique and so obviously God will give them a pass and we should whisper where the Bible whispers and shout where the Bible shouts and since my sin isn't among the top ten listed then it really doesn't matter. Living together without marriage, people cite financial needs, we're not ready for marriage, we need the imaginary tax break, and all these things God totally understands, and so he's cool with it. Drunkenness. Well, see, Jesus turned water into wine, so obviously he's fine with the fact that I'm stumble drunk five or six nights a week, so you need to just back off, Pastor. Disregard for the church and God's word. The Bible never explicitly says that we have to go to church every Sunday, and I went a couple of times last year, so I'm good. We have so many ways of twisting God's Word, pretending that it doesn't apply to us, but knowing that it certainly applies to our neighbor. And if we can't build an imaginary loophole into God's Word for ourselves, Well, then we'll just say that that part doesn't apply to today, because we're smarter and better, and those people didn't know what actually caused these things, and we can handle it because we're awesome. Or we'll say that Jesus probably didn't actually say that part because we don't have any proof, meaning that's not what we want him to say. And so we pick and choose the parts that we like and make our very own custom Bible that says everything we want it to say and nothing else. We keep the parts that we benefit from and that make us feel good, and we throw out anything that we don't like because we don't like it. But when we do that, any of that, we are not actually following God's Word. We're following ours. We become God, deciding what's right and wrong, applying our standards and saying, this part of my life is just fine because it's part of my life. Which means that, as God, we then are responsible for our own salvation. Which means that we are lost. Because we will not do it well enough. Our imaginary rules, our loopholes, the ways that we change God's Word, they do nothing to affect reality. They do nothing to change the fact that we are hell-bound sinners by our very nature. So if we're actually being honest with ourselves, which was our goal, remember, we can't just ignore God's word or twist it around to suit our lives. That's not a valid option. So let's move on to option number two. Let's try to silence the word. I mean, we read about this all the time in the Bible. We read about it in history in our readings today. We hear where the word of God is silenced in several ways, or at least attempted. The false prophet Amaziah, he did not like what Amos had to say, and so he tried to send Amos packing. Amos came speaking the true word of God, and Amaziah tried to twist his words around, tried to make it seem like he was committing treason, tried to say he threatened a king and so he deserves to die. And then he goes and attacks Amos. He insults him. He belittles him. He tries to scare him off. He tries to discredit him. He tries to say, you're not even from Israel. Go back to Judah. Go earn your money doing your prophecy thing down there. But you leave us alone. According to legend, during this confrontation, Amaziah actually clubbed Amos over the head. And Amos later died of that injury. He tried to silence the word of God because he did not like what it had to say. Because it was cutting in on his game, it was making him look bad. And then we jump forward a few hundred years to John the Baptist and Herod. Herodias, Herod's new wife-slash-sister-in-law, didn't like What John the Baptist had to say. Didn't like the fact that John was saying she was living in sin. Didn't like that God's word convicted her of adultery. And so she had him imprisoned and killed. She uses her own daughter to play to her new husband's lusts and gets him to promise her anything. And Herod, even though he didn't like what John had to say, he was actually listening. He was actually intrigued by God's word, even though it convicted him of his sin. But then his pride, his foolishness. He is not wanting to embarrass himself after making such a grandiose promise to people. It led him to give in to his wife and take off John the Baptist's head. To silence the one who dared say that he was doing wrong. Who dared tell him that he was on a sinful path to hell. They didn't like God's word, and they used their power to silence those who spoke it. We ourselves, we both face and commit this same tactic. We are told by the world around us to keep our faith to ourselves, not to talk about it in public. Don't share Jesus. Don't share your bigoted ways. Don't try to colonize the world with your Christianity. We're threatened with being ostracized, with losing friends, with alienating family if we dare keep talking about Jesus and His Word. We might even face lawsuits, financial penalties, arrest for committing hate crimes if we stand up for the truth of God's Word. And those are bad things. But what's worse is we ourselves try to silence God's Word in our own lives. We tell the pastor, you know what, I don't want to talk about that. And don't you be bringing that up to my family either. I may know it's wrong, but let's just not deal with it. We'll hear God's word clearly spoken against our sinful ways. We'll hear the word of God say that what we are doing is wrong and displeasing and is a terrible witness of our Christian faith and leads to eternal condemnation. And instead of hearing and repenting, We childishly plug our ears. La, 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 I can't hear you, God. The problem here, though, is it doesn't work. We may try so many different ways to silence God's word. But God continues to send his prophets, his pastors, those who speak his word into our lives. Killing a prophet, it didn't silence God's word one bit because God continues to speak even to those who don't want to hear. Continues to send more prophets reaching out to those who are dying willingly in their own sin and saying, stop your wicked ways, you do not have to die. And since God's word has such power, power to create, power to destroy, power to forgive and heal, do we really think that we petty mortals could actually silence it? Do we really think there's any way in the world we could stop God from speaking His word of truth? So that's not an option either. We can't ignore God's word, we can't silence it. What's left? Well, I suppose when it comes down to it, we in the whole world need to come to grips with the fact that God's word is powerful. It is true, and it is here to stay. He alone decides what is right and wrong, and he will continue to speak his word even if we make every effort to try to silence it. And so we are left with option three, obey it. When we read God's word, when we hear the word of the Lord, no matter how much it ruffles our feathers and makes us uncomfortable, we need to conform our lives change our wicked ways, turn away from our sin. When God says, Thou shalt not, and we continue to do it, we are sinning, and we are on the wrong side of God's holy, perfect, eternal law. So whatever God says, He says it for a reason. And whether we like it or not, we as Christians in need of salvation, we are to obey. He says that we are to keep anger and hatred out of our hearts, and so we should. He says that we are to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and so we should. He says that we are to submit to one another in love, and so we should. He says that we are to respect our elders and the authorities, that we are not to take part in crude speaking, that we are to give to those who are in need, that we are to put God absolutely first and foremost in our lives. And all of these things, no matter how hard they might be, no matter how uncomfortable they might make us, we are called to do, and we should. And so because God's Word says this is what we are to do, we do it. Even though we don't always like it. Even though it's often really hard. Even though we know that we're going to be made fun of. We're going to feel like we're missing out on something really cool that everyone else gets to do. We are going to be told that we need to get with the times. God's Word alone tells us what is right and wrong. And so we hear that Word and we submit to it, recognizing that God speaks to us out of love and for our own good. But unfortunately, there's a problem here too. No matter how hard we try... We can't do it well enough. We are by nature sinful and unclean. And so our every inclination is to turn away from God's Word, to go our own way instead. Even when we do the right thing, we often do it for selfish reasons, thinking that we're earning God's love, which is sinful in and of itself. As Isaiah reminds us in God's Word, even our righteous deeds are like Filthy garments, soaked in the filth and nastiness of our sinful nature. Never good enough to bring before the Creator of all things. So try as we might, even when we really, really want to do what's right according to God's Word, we're just not good enough. And that's a bummer of a way to end a sermon, isn't it? Thankfully, I'm not done. We know we can't ignore or twist God's Word and actually gain anything from it. We know that we can't silence God's Word because He just cares too much to let Himself be silenced. And we know that even when we hear God's Word and keep it, we can't keep it well enough to do ourselves any good beyond this earthly life. So what can we do about God's Word? Well, by grace through the faith that that same Word works in our wretched hearts, we can trust in Jesus' mercy. God's Word is perfection. And so the only one who can keep it perfectly is God Himself. Knowing this, our Heavenly Father did not just give us His Word and yell at us to do better, to get over ourselves and just quit all that sinning we keep doing. No. He Himself took our place beneath his perfect law to fulfill it for us. So then we might ask, why bother giving us his word? Why would he bother speaking his law to us if he's the one who's going to keep it, if he's the one who's going to fulfill it, if he knows that we can't do it well enough? Well, because he loves us. As we learned in Vacation Bible School, God's law is not this terrible blanket that suffocates our lives. It is a show of His love and mercy and grace. As we strive, excuse me, as we strive to live by God's law, we are spared of so many of the earthly heartaches and consequences. As we live by God's word, we learn to respect the, our Lord, our Heavenly Father. We learn just how much God actually did for us as we realize how impossible it is for us to live up to that standard of perfection that God raises us to. It is to His glory as we realize just how high the price was for our salvation. Jesus Christ, God Himself, came in our flesh and faced every single sinful temptation That we ourselves face. Satan just didn't come to him once out in the wilderness. Try three times and go, well shoot, this ain't working, I give up. He was tempted constantly. Every minute of every day. Jesus was assaulted with sinful temptations. Just like we ourselves are. With anger, lust, greed, disobedience, blasphemy, pride. All these things and so many more were thrown at Jesus time and time again, calling him to turn away from that silly old word of God and gain something real, just as we ourselves are tempted. The difference is that he faced those temptations perfectly and did not sin, did not veer from the painful path that God the Father laid before him. And that path, it led to the cross. Where the perfect and holy Son of God, who never once sinned, took upon Himself every single sin ever committed. All the world's sin. All my sin. All of your sin. He willingly took it all and suffered the full brunt of God's righteous wrath in your place. The price of your sin, the price that Jesus willingly paid, was His own brutal, gruesome, excruciating death at the hands of sinful men like you and me. But he paid that price willingly, out of love, no matter how sinful you are, no matter how filthy your life is, so that you could be with him forever. He died on the cross and rose again from the grave, not for himself, but for you, to give you the guarantee of everlasting life in heaven. And he is still with you today, just as he promises in his word. Through his glorious word and sacraments, he strengthens you in the one true faith. He fills you with his power, his love, his forgiveness, his true presence, preparing you for the many trials and joys that await you in your life. That's the mercy of Jesus Christ that the Bible tells us about over and over and over again. Why would we want to find ways to push that out of our lives? So what can we do about God's Word? Well, our sinful hearts tell us that we're best off ignoring it, changing it to fit our own lifestyle, or just outright silencing it. But thanks be to God. By His grace, we know that not only are those things impossible, but they're foolish. What can we really do about God's Word? We can give constant praise and thanksgiving. We can rejoice We can celebrate and share that beautiful word with all those around us, whether we think they might believe it or not. Because in God's word, we have life. True life. Full life. Eternal life. Not because of how well we keep it, but because Jesus has kept it on our behalf. In his perfect eternal love, he gave his life as a sacrifice to rescue you from sin, death, and the devil. That's what God's Word is about. And that's why we wouldn't ever want it to be out of our lives. Because that Word assures us, beyond any doubt whatsoever, that by the cross of Jesus Christ alone, by His empty tomb alone, you are forgiven of every one of your sins, and eternal life in heaven is yours. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.